0: Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by BBR Productions. Together with
1: content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore
0: the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation.
1: Hi, welcome to the Air Combat Sim Podcast. Today we're lucky enough to have a bunch of game developers that are going to help us walk through uh, the ins and outs of campaign development for Digital Combat Simulator. And to start off, uh, we have our good friend Baltic Dragon here, my co-host. How are you doing, Baltic?
2: I'm fine, thank you. And you?
1: Doing well, doing well. And we also have Bell Geode. How are you doing?
3: Not too shabby, and yourself?
1: Good, good. Greg, also known as Reflected, how are you doing?
0: Hey guys, how's it going?
1: And, and Greg, where are you at?
0: Oh, At the moment, I'm in Indonesia.
1: Very cool. So, so I'm, in, I'm in Austin, Texas. Bell, you're in, where are you at?
3: Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Steel City.
1: And uh, Baltic, where are you these days? Are you in Belgium still
2: or in Poland? I'm in Belgium oh no. yeah. Got it.
1: And we also have Chris. Chris, where you are you? Hi, everyone.
4: So I'm Chris, uh, a.k.a. Chilling from Grand Panda Sims, and I'm live from Robin Hood country, Nottinghamshire, England.
1: Well, fantastic. Well, thanks, thanks everybody, for, for uh, getting together for this. I think this is one of the topics that we've gotten a lot of interest about. And I personally... Uh, as we were talking before the show uh, have, I, I think there's some really good stories to understand how you guys got started and really understand it. Plus we have a ton of listener questions that um, we'll dive into as well to try to see um, some of the nuanced uh, details to get where they want to get started. So, so just starting off, uh, Greg, uh, a.k.a. Reflected, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got going and started with this?
0: Huh. I was hoping I would have a chance to listen to someone else what they say first, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think my story is not so different from uh, anyone else's. I started playing flight sims in the early 90s. As soon as I got my hands on a computer, and they got better and better, and I've never even dreamed of having anything like uh like dcs today that's just amazing but um you know these flight sims are uh, how to put it they're as good as what you make of them so uh, even in the old il2 there was this mission editor way more limited than uh than what we have in dcs but i started fiddling around to create missions for myself first just simple air starts so i can practice dogfighting. but then i started playing some user campaigns uh, i remember there was one uh, under the white rose or it was called something like that uh, following 609 squadron from the RAF i absolutely loved it and it encouraged me to to try and build my own and i built something called the big hill wing but it was super simple and like, prehistoric But the community loved it. But still, I I built it for myself mainly. So I I have something to play with. And then fast forward to to the DCS times. Uh, I played uh, Bonnie Epsom campaign. Mm -hmm. And again, I was blown away by how far you can take all this and uh, how much immersion you can pack into a mission and a campaign and uh, that's when i decided to okay let's let's start building my own because i have so many stories to tell i have so many stories that i want to play through myself so i started building these campaigns and missions mainly and i'm still building them mainly for myself to build content that i can play with and then fortunately the community seems to uh, enjoy them as well and that's a huge bonus and i'm really grateful for all the field feedback but that's how I started, and that's how I'm still going. I don't know if that answered your question.
1: No, no, it's perfect. That's exactly right, um, Chris. How do you, tell tell us uh, tell us about your story? How you got going?
4: And- yeah, sure. So, um, big fan of Flight Sims as a kid, um, as anyone. Going all. I mean, I was born in '82, so you're going back to. Um, Spectrum and all these things, F-22 and F 22 Interceptor on the Mega Drive, Jane's US Navy fighters on the PC. I loved flight sims. Um, and then, sort of, I don't know, got into more general gaming, fell out of love with them a little bit, forgot about them, grew up, you know, started working, had a family. But always in the back of the mind was that I really wish there was a really decent flight sim out there. And for some reason, for years, DCS passed me by. I mean, I remember in, oh God, the 2000s or uh, late 90s playing Flanker or Flanker 2 um, as a 14 year old, and I mean, absolutely, I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. It was all in Russian. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember trying to take off, and it just didn't happen. And I didn't touch the flight sim again for God, 15, 15 years maybe. And then as I got a bit older, and to be honest, I got a bit fed up with normal gaming. Everything's become so samey the Ubisoft formula, the, the online shooters. And I was just, I was longing for a really decent you know, in-depth flights, especially in VR as that came out. And for some reason, DCS passed me by for a few years. And then in about 2017, I stumbled across DCS in VR, um, took my Oculus CV1 and downloaded DCS and, well, it absolutely changed my gaming life. And to some extent, the life going forward as well, because it opened up some new doors for me. And um, what, four or five years later, here I am, campaign developer, if not making my entire living from DCS, yes, certainly supplementing it. So, yeah, quite an interesting uh the way it developed, really. That's
1: fantastic. Now, now in uh, in in Baltic, uh, and will you give us a overview of how you got started? As much as we've heard, uh, you you talk on the podcast, I don't think we've heard your origin story as the legendary, uh, dev- uh campaign developer that you are.
2: <laughs> Legendary. Uh, well, it all started with my wife who bought me the flight stick at some point, and I was I was I mean I was playing the Sims, uh, the old James and but I wasn't really hooked on them. I was more kind of a a dangerous or space sim kind of guy, but I always liked doing my own stories. So whenever a game had an editor, I would always go into it and try doing something with it. And then with DCS, I got the stick, and I, th- I, th- I think I saw somewhere on the shelf the A-10 Sea Ortho, which I bought because it looked cool, and I got hooked. And then I immediately started doing my own missions, uh, and then I, I did this Enemy Within, the first version, which was, I think, seven missions, the free campaign. And, well, it, it kind of hooked on. People liked it. And the first version was text-to-speech voiceovers. Then I did the upgraded version with some normal voiceovers, and then Chris from Matt Spike did a review of the campaign. And then Matt, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt Wax uh, spoke to me asking if I wouldn't like to release it as a DLC. And I think it was the first DLC uh, from, let's say, Western developer. There was one DLC done by ED for SU 27, I think. And then it was mine, and then we did which I had to upgrade a lot. All, and that's how it all started. And then I just moved on. And since I hooked with you guys in Fight It Power podcast, it just took an amazing speed and an incredible story. So I'm super happy where I am right now. Also, not living of DCS yet, but I'm planning to move the food time in about two or three years. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I am.
1: That's terrific. Yeah. and and But let me ask you guys, and, and anybody can answer this, is – you know, it takes a it's a different approach to playing DCS to actually moving into the realm of creating campaigns because there's a narrative that you guys are thinking of or an idea, and then you have to learn the tool set and to make it happen. Was there something that, that drove you um, or you know, because I would also ask you as a follow up of going, do you build campaigns more than you play, or do you play as much as you build campaigns?
4: I think it's, it's all building campaigns these days. Um, absolutely, uh, and I know I've heard the other guys talk about this in on other podcasts and stuff that they've done in in the, in the past. And yeah, it, it takes over most of your gaming. I think um, I started building because I want to build stuff that I want to play, and I wanted to build missions that I could complete. And it just grew and grew. And I think I really think it's a building block process. You start off building simple missions and you keep pushing yourself further and further. And before you know it, you're two or three years down the line and you've developed a lot of new skills. Um, So yeah, five or six years ago, I wouldn't have even dreamed I'd be sat here being able to talk to you guys, being able to build campaigns that people want to pay money for. But um, yeah, bit by bit, you learn new skills. And before you know it, you, you, you are where you are.
2: I think I'll say that at this stage, it's kind of weird because... The best part of doing campaigns is actually testing them once they work, so that's the gaming part. But between that and then beginning it, it's a long, long kind of a labor to, to get there. And at some point, I'm, I'm even feeling guilty when I'm just flying something just for fun and not doing a campaign because I have so many things I need to do. It's crazy, so it's kind of, yeah, it's more building for me than, than just enjoying it now. But I mean, I still enjoy it, but it's just time-wise, much more time in editor than in actual pit.
0: Yeah, I echo what you guys said, but uh, I would also like to add that I really enjoy playing other people's campaigns, because on one hand, you know, it's a lot of fun to to see where they take the mission editor. They have a different approach, to triggers to, to make stuff happen, and that's super interesting and fun, and also I really enjoy playing a mission where I don't know what's supposed to happen, mm-hmm. because when I test my missions, yeah, as Baltic said, it's the best part of uh, building a campaign when it finally works and it comes together and it's not in your head anymore but it's in game and it's an awesome feeling but you exactly know okay 30 seconds after takeoff something should happen here why is it not happening but when i play someone else's campaigns it's all you know an undiscovered area i have no idea what's supposed to happen and that's that's amazing
1: that's really cool. I mean, so as as you got started, was there uh, a YouTube channel? Like, um, I want to be a DCS campaign developer channel that you guys looked at that gave you, like, here, here are the step one through 22? Or is it just something, just dive into it and start meandering through and figuring out yourselves through the editor?
4: I think for me it was figuring out for myself, but I have to pay homage to both Greg and Baltic because um, I know people do it to my missions now what we do is you find the missions that these guys have built um the ones they've put out for free or in, in the case of baltic with his harrier training missions and you're able to access those because they're not encrypted you reverse engineer them you learn new things and from there you build on that and i know people do that to my missions because they come to me and they ask me how have you done this and i've looked at your mission and could you talk, tell me why you made this decision in building it um so without these guys doing what they do i wouldn't be able to do what i do so they might have had a different starting process but i Definitely for me, um, you know, I have to I have to give my thanks to them for me allowing to allowing me to sort of build on on their work.
1: That's really cool. I mean, one of the things that um, Baltic has told me over time, and I think I've seen this is it's quite the community, not just the DCS community itself, but of the developers that are collaborating together. And I've seen uh, certainly on the Discord channel. Uh, I, it's really cool to see the collaboration that happens there.
2: Yeah, we have a Discord channel, uh, we're all there, we're discussing. One thing that I think it's important to put straight in the beginning is we don't see each other as a competitor or something like that. So we all make campaigns, something for the same aircraft, but we, we help each other as much as we can, because at the end of the day, uh, we want all the campaigns to be good, because people, when they play the DLC campaign, and they happen to stumble on something that's not good, they might just not want to try anything else and besides yeah it's it's always fun to there's great lots of great people in, in the community our small community of third campaign devs and another thing which i think it's funny because yeah but maybe you guys should correct me if i'm wrong but i rarely see people like playing campaigns trying to, to, I know, I would say pitch one against another. So, oh, I like this one, but I like this one more. I didn't like this one, but this one is better. Uh, and I actually appreciate it because we are all on the same kind of page or on the same side, and it's it's nice to be able to work together on things, helping each other out. Uh, and I think community understands that. So there's no kind of, oh, those companies are stupid. I want to try another one, or this one is better than that one, uh, which is kind of cool.
4: Yeah, no, i agree.
3: You raise a very good point there, Baltic. Um, just to kind of step in there. Speaking as a YouTuber, somebody who has in the past showcased campaigns and one-off missions that community members have made, one of the questions that I get asked often is, which campaigns would you recommend? And depending on you know what aircraft they're flying and whatnot, obviously that's going to narrow down the choices, but usually it comes down to Pretty much all of the campaigns that are made for a given aircraft are the ones that I end up recommending. So, you know, you guys are obviously doing a really good job if every single one of your campaigns is that compelling enough that you can't just pick one.
4: Yeah, for sure. And I I think everyone's got a different style as well. I think that's the really important message to get across. So you could take Raven 1, which everyone accepts is an absolutely brilliant campaign. Um, but it's not for everyone because it's a very realistic um, recreation of naval procedures and you've got all the SME input in that campaign but then you've also got for the Hornet something like Rising Squall which is the absolute other end of the spectrum and it's just about picking out what, what kind of campaign that fits for you and we're not in competition with each other like Baltic said It's it's more a case of knowing what you like and then finding the campaign developer that develops the kind of campaign that you want to play and that's all it is
0: yeah, precisely. That's awesome. I, I really, like to think, really like to think about campaigns like, as they were books. So we as campaign developers, we want to get people, get hooked on reading. And once you buy a book, it's not like you buy the best book possible and then you read it and read it again and again and touch nothing else. But if you, if you buy a good book, you read it, you put it on the shelf and you say, hey, that was amazing, I need another book. And then you buy another one. So that's why we are not competitors. Actually, it's our aim to make sure all third-party campaigns are really good, so people get hooked on playing campaigns and and you know trust the process. And you know, since we have this Discord book, book sorry uh, group, it really accelerated uh, also my mission building because we share tips and tricks. Uh, like man, how how'd you do this? How'd you do that? Somebody figures out a way to solve a problem that we've all been facing, and uh, it's just super helpful. It really helps a lot. Also, we highlight um, DCS bugs. Something happens to the AI, and then we flag it. Guys, pay attention. Something happened. This is not going to work anymore. Okay, and then we all go back to our own missions and check if it affects, impacts them or not. <laughs> It's also kind of a therapy group, isn't it?
2: Uh, it happens very rarely with those bugs. I
4: mean, almost never. Bugs? Right? <laughs> we get bugs. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: yeah, I
4: I didn't really notice. Anyway, nine hours of my life went the other day. I'm, I can't remember any bugs this week. You know that actually. Um
3: brings up a question that we have here, one of our listener questions, which is actually something that I want to know as well, because I know my own personal answer just doing the stuff that I do for me. But what would you say as campaign developers is the hardest part for you in creating a campaign? Would it be scripting for the AI or writing or adapting a compelling story and also Coupled with that, what would you say is your method for creating a compelling narrative that's going to pull people in? Okay,
2: so let me start maybe. Uh, yeah, For me, definitely the, the biggest challenge is, of course, scripting and making the AI do what I want the AI to do. I know what is my end goal, what I want to achieve, but then making it happen sometimes requires thinking out of the box or trying a few different routes, some of them completely not obvious so not things you'd think about uh, from the start but when it works it's nice and it says for the second part uh, i think everyone has its own kind of way of getting there to a nice compelling uh, story for me it's uh, usually it's, it's the general idea but then i just have some ideas for separate missions and i when i start writing them i develop them then so it's not that i have them done and also Quite often during building of a campaign, I just change the plot completely or make some changes that I, I go directions I wouldn't envisage in the beginning. So I never have a full idea from from the outset, uh, but it just meanders and changes as I go.
0: I agree with you. The same same for me is the AI. So I have something in my head, what I want to see in game, but to make sure the AI does that, that's that's a challenge. And you really have to think outside of the box. and. I think players would be really surprised to know what's going on under the hood, while they're you know not looking, like how many tricks we we employ to make sure it's happening that way. And the second challenge is to make sure that the AI keeps doing what it's supposed to do after all the updates, because the logic of the game tends to change, and usually improve. But still, it impacts the missions, and sometimes uh, it's not working out as it used to anymore, and that's also a really big challenge to keep them up to date. And as for the compelling stories, um, most of my campaigns are set in history, you know, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Um, and I find that sometimes reality is way stranger than fiction, so I just read tons and tons of books about uh, that era, that period of time, memoirs and personal accounts. And if you read like a dozen of them, you have enough little anecdotes and stories that would make a good campaign. Or you can just go the total historical way, like my Wolfpack campaign or my upcoming Spitfire campaign, uh, Beware, Beware, where I just dug up some combat reports and squadron records and did a lot of research and recreated historical events. down to the last word so I didn't have to invent a compelling story I just made sure uh, the AI does exactly what it did back in 1943 you know but that's also an extra challenge
4: yeah for me I think the the hardest part I think I find they're they're both equally challenging the i think the two different skill sets and you need both to to make a decent campaign you can be the best coder and programmer out there but if your campaign's got no soul to it no story no characters it's just a set of missions that are technically very good and vice versa if you've got a brilliant story and a brilliant setup and scenario but you're not very good at building the missions your campaign's going to suffer equally badly um so i think they're both equally difficult for different for different reasons the ai can be an issue I wasn't going to come on here when I found out or when Baltic asked me to come on a week or so ago and sort of bash the AI because for me it was working really well but the events of this week and the open beta has maybe given me a slightly different experience Um, but it's probably the the most difficult bit is probably some of the writing I find it's I have a lot of dialogue in my campaigns and I'm, I'm very keen on telling the story and I've put these optional conversations in that you can access if you want. And if you don't want them, because they're not entirely realistic, cockpit talk, you can leave them out. But I make these conversations very expositional. They, they do a lot to talk about the characters and the the situation that's going on. It, I've almost sort of made myself uh, a very hard bed to lie in because trying to keep that going and finding interesting things to say without it being talking for the point of talking, it's uh, that's becoming a challenge. So for me, probably the writing is the harder bit, but you definitely need to be able to do both. My, for my methods, I think, like Greg said, reading. I'm acquiring quite a decent library of books on a military aviation, and I'm probably reading three or four books at any one time, depending on what room of the house I'm in. There's a different book lying around, and just constantly, constantly reading, watching documentaries, and acquiring as much knowledge as you possibly can. And I think that's the that's the best starting point.
1: That's really that's really really cool. Um, so, so as you talk about putting the storyline together, one of the things that like um, I know uh, Greg and I know Baltic that you guys are collaborating on your campaigns with other folks. Does that make it easier or
2: harder or or a little bit of both? You mean SMEs? Correct uh, okay I mean it's of course it makes it much easier on some aspects depending on probably what how you do it but you, you get a lot of information or que- questions answered. Yeah, that otherwise you'd have to do a lot of research on and you would not necessarily be right uh, it, anyway. So that's great. But then on the other hand, when you get like, for example, in the Raven 1, the Dominant Fury, new campaign coming out soon, uh, where it was Kevin and Jello actually writing the scripts uh, because for the first Raven 1, it was me. So they they wrote them and said, oh, this is the script. Let's do it this way. I'm like, look at it. Okay, so 16... Jet refueling uh, out of S3s, uh, no, I won't work in DCS. Sorry. <laughs> and so you get into lots of those places where you, you get those ideas, and it's no, I'm sorry, but I mean you cannot do it in DCS, or you really try hard, and it takes lots of time. Sometimes you succeed, sometimes not. Uh, but of course, it's all for the good because the campaign then is much better. Uh, but it also makes it more difficult in a sense from that point of view. I know, Greg, what's your uh, what's your Because you've also worked with, with, with Paco and you work with uh, Bio.
0: Yeah, I have exactly the same experience. So, on one hand, it makes it a lot easier because, like, on my own, I would never have been able to figure out uh, like how to build a realistic 1980s uh, Top Gun training scenario because, you know, there's just not enough reading material on the subject. And when I worked with Bio, he was a Top Gun instructor, so uh, ultimately uh, the final product will be way more realistic than if we were just working on it on our own uh, campaign makers. But exactly like you said, Baltic, uh, like these guys are not, how to say, they don't have a filter based on AI capabilities. So they just tell you whatever they remember and whatever is realistic. And then you have stuff on your table that you need to make happen in game, and it's just super, super hard and challenging. Uh, I've been for the last year. I've been working with Paco on uh, on a Speed and Angels campaign, so the F fourteen rag training, and it's pushed me way, way beyond uh, my comfort zone and capabilities as a mission builder, but. I kept trying and trying, you know, workaround, workarounds, workarounds, uh, and eventually uh, the pieces fit together and and I made it work. But it's it's way more difficult because you know when you come up with an idea, you're kind of going for your comfort zone. You don't you don't want 16 Hornets uh, refuel from a single S3, but when 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 your SME says that this is what should happen, this would be realistic, then you start thinking about, okay, how how to make it happen. It's definitely a challenge, but at the end, it's really worth it because these campaigns are really my favorite.
2: Uh, So just just an announcement for all those, uh, how you call them, those guys who are really looking at the reality. Of course, we know that there's no way to refuel 16-Hornets from 1S3, right? It was just as an example.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just used your example. No, I, I'm and
2: just I, talking about my example so that nobody says in the comments that you're, oh, how else could that be?
1: <laughs> well, and, and just as a comment, um, and I've seen this, and I think it's really important that when you are working with uh, the subject matter experts that you can push back. And I've seen, you know, it, very pragmatically, Baltic will go back to to Hoser and Jello and go, yeah, that's not going to work. So, and they're like, oh, okay. And so, you know, you come back with plan B. So I I certainly think that you know, having a good relationship and an earnest relationship with your your SME is going to be really important.
3: So do you all ever find yourselves getting into a situation where it's almost like you have too much reference material or you're just being bombarded with, you know, too much to parse or too much to pare down into something that can functionally work with DCS? And how do you deal with something like that? It's never too much reference
0: material. Yeah, agree. The better, I think. Absolutely. Fair answer. <laughs> Fair answer.
2: And how you deal with that over a long period of time of trying and you know trial and error, and eventually it comes together because at the start you you sh- you're able to say this will work or this will not work or this may work, and if it may work, it usually does after some trying. Uh, but yeah, it takes time. So as you as you guys have mentioned,
1: there's almost depending on the campaign, there's a spectrum of complexity to it. So on one end of the spectrum, you might have, and this kind of goes back to a question that one of our listeners had about um, some that might be quote-unquote arcadey versus all the way up to, well, you got you have to refuel two times, which will drive some people crazy. So do you guys, as you're going through and doing your other mission, missions that you decide that are going to be more of the arcadey side, than others, or do you try to keep them consistent
4: um, as
1: you're building out the campaign?
4: I think consistency. I think, like, like I said earlier, I think your your own style will come through. I think those that want to build more arcadey, uh, lighter missions that are shorter and probably a little bit easier on the user, I think they'll build those sorts of missions and they'll get they'll get a reputation for doing that. And those of us that want to build more complex, longer missions, will we'll do the same. And I think again, we'll get we'll get known for that. So yeah, I really think it's down to what what the campaign developer does and people will, will go to that style that they like.
2: I think it's a good question for Greg because if I'm not mistaken, you have your one uh, Tomcat campaign which is more towards arcade-ish, like 80-movie style. So I'm wondering what, what was the reaction of people to that because other other campaigns are very
0: much on the realistic or like longer side, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to bring up that example. My number one lesson that I learned... Uh, during my time as a campaign creator is that you cannot please everyone. So just do whatever you like, and if people like it good, if not, then play something else, as harsh as it may sound. But yeah, I have two uh, Tomcat campaigns that are at the opposite end of the spectrum. So I have Zone 5, that is an exact recreation of 1980s uh, air combat training with the help of Bio. And I've got complaints saying it's really boring to follow the same departure procedures, no chit-chat between the pilots, so on and so forth. But come on, that's realistic. That's how it happened. But some people don't like it. And that's okay. That's that's perfectly okay. We're all different. And then I have Fear the Bones, which I built on my own. And it's more like a Hollywood movie, like a compilation of 80s pop culture around the legendary fighter. So it's not meant to be hardcore procedural simulation of uh, US Navy flying, but more like, you know, fun. And then there are some people who complain because you know it's not entirely realistic. Uh, so you can never please everyone.
1: I find that hard to believe that the DCS community would ever be critical. <laughs> <laughs> Number <Yeah>. one requirement.
4: <laughs> A thick skin—you've got to have a thick skin. Yeah,
1: it's a very good point, guys.
2: But it's a good point by by uh, Chris that it's it's that comes down to your personal style, and people start to recognize that style and and appreciate it, and then they will go for it. And probably if you do something else or something different, it, w- it would be a big shock. Uh, if I if I do did the is Call type campaign, which I want because it's not my style, then people would like be scratching their heads probably right now. And I'm not saying it's a bad campaign. We've also been cooperating with with the guys doing it, and uh, I've tried it, and, yeah, it's done very well. It's just not what I'm looking in DCS, but it's a very good set of missions and very fun if you were for the more
0: lighter side of flying. Yeah, I think ultimately our goal is to go for realism because we have this study-level flight simulator where every switch in the cockpit works, and that's amazing. That's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why we're not playing other flight sims so why not put the same uh idea into the whole mission to make it study level right yeah
4: agreed if you're going to study to learn the plane then you should expect the same from the missions that's my personal view anyway but it's not for everyone
1: yeah no i think you guys i i think you make a really good point in that um when people sign up for dcs uh, they're not signing up for um you know for the light version of it and, um, and as we've said on this podcast, uh, from time to time, um, this is, you know, when you get into it, it's a, it's a hobby, it's an investment of time, effort, and energy to learn how to use the, the aircraft. And I think to your point, when you sit there at, as an extension, I think the campaigns, there's an expectation with it, but at the end of the day, there are going to be people that like, I love my brother-in-law, but you know, he's going to sit there and go, he wants to press a button and pull a trigger. And call it a day. And that's just, uh, that's just, there are going to be folks that want to do that. And that's okay.
3: And then somewhat opposite end of the spectrum, too, there's those of us who absolutely adore a really good story more than anything else. It doesn't matter if I forget to, you know, flip X, Y, Z switch at the perfect time or whatever, as long as I'm just so sucked into the story. And, you know, for those folks, too, that also is a very important aspect to, you know, the campaigns. Perfect example, um, Paradise Lost. love. That campaign simply because of the fact that it makes me feel like I'm back in you know the late 60s, early 70s, Vietnam era. Thanks. And actually, um, one of the things that I was wondering too, because I've dabbled around in mission creation, but obviously not nearly to the same level as you boys do how do you go from getting you know, a bunch of single missions into one cohesive campaign? Does it start life as one cohesive campaign? Did you just break into chapters? Or do you come up with various ideas at various times and then just try to you know, link them all together?
4: I think that's a really interesting question. And I'm actually fascinated to hear how Greg and Baltic do that because I've got my own technique and um, I have no idea what these guys' is. I mean, for me, it's, I read, I read and I keep reading. I make an absolute load of notes. And at the end of it, I make a massive spreadsheet of all the different things that could happen during the campaign. You sketch out the story, um, I build modifiers in. So what would make this mission different from another? It might be weather, it might be unique events happening. Um, and then I start to filter that down into a set of missions. Um, and from that, I get the skeleton of a campaign, which evolves as a, as I build it, but. Absolutely. It comes from one idea of a story, I think, and then you start to really look at how you can make each mission stand out because it'd be really easy to make 15, 16 missions that are identical. Um, the same things happen, but you've got to put twists into each one and make it unique. Um, as for how these guys do it, yeah, I'd definitely be interested to hear how, how their process is.
0: I do precisely the same. <laughs> exactly.
4: Well, that's cool. For,
2: for me, it's more, I mean, yeah, I have the general idea but for instance, The Enemy Within, I, I had the idea of the whole CLA and uh, coin operations, but my mission that I built it around was, was the the one when you take off during the mortar attack on the air, uh, airfield. That was what I had in mind. And then I, I kind of built the campaign backwards from that point and then onwards from that point of what could have happened. Uh, so I'm, I'm less meticulous when it comes to putting down the whole like a spreadsheet of of all missions what might happen i just put a few notes on some possible twists but then i as i build the campaign it's changing all the time i just have a general idea
4: no that's really interesting i mean to fair like with if anyone's played cerberus north they've probably seen the documentation like the, the intelligence briefing that comes with that's 98 pages long and it's just full of information on the backstory for me it's about creating this entire virtual world and it will say, right, if you're going to go anywhere near Damascus, for example, these are the army units defending Damascus. Now, when I'm building the campaign, when I've got a mission providing close air support, uh, for example, it will be a case of, right, I'll, I'll, I'll use that document as my own reference. All right, what units are going to be there? And it kind of creates the authenticity of the campaign. Um, and even though I've sketched out what the campaign is going to be, the minute details as to who's when, who's doing what, that flows naturally mission to mission i build on my missions sequentially i'll go one two three four five for example um and each mission's actions will determine what's going to happen in the next mission absolutely i use all the reference material that i've created at the start and it'll kind of it will definitely evolve naturally and it's, it's really important to me that you get that authentic feel of progression through the campaign whereas one thing leads to another and if you've achieved your objectives then you know you've destroyed that army unit and therefore it's opened up this gateway through this mountain pass for example and now you've got a straight run at another set of enemy forces so yeah that progression and the dynamic nature of it you've got to you've got to keep that going i think and you can't be too uh, hamstrung to your spreadsheet
3: see as you're saying that that kind of makes me wonder i know we probably don't really have that functionality just yet but it's something that ed has spoken about in the past is the prospect of dynamic campaigns how do you think it will be with these kinds of campaigns that you all create do you think there's a possibility that it can move from something you know completely scripted you get through missions one through ten which of course tells you know a lovely narrative to something that's more like a i guess a choose your own adventure the story could end this way or it could end vastly different depending on your actions as you know xyz pilot do you think that's something that we could potentially see in the future
4: I think it would be an enormous challenge. I think these guys would agree. To to create the branching campaign, I think, it doesn't work at the minute, I don't think, properly in terms of the DCS campaign engine, but to have enough combinations of the missions, I think that would be an absolutely massive undertaking on the scale that we're currently doing it.
2: I think, I mean, we have not never heard anything official about it, so the relation between dynamic campaign and our campaigns. Uh, it's possible we'll get some... Uh, Tools to use the dynamic campaign, but like make our own dynamic campaigns with our own settings, etc. I'm not sure sure how it would work, but then I think that yeah, dynamic campaign is cool. But if you know the stock DCS uh, voiceovers and and how the A behaves, etc., it will be good fun. But I think people will after some time want to go back to the scripted campaign and hear the real voices of other people recorded and have some more compelling storylines. So I don't think it will be any kind of danger to the, our campaigns, which we do not.
1: That's a good segue over on voiceovers. Uh, so one of the questions that uh, the audience had was, how do you guys get folks to do voiceovers? Where, do, where does that come from?
0: Well, I think we usually, uh, we already have our our set of people that we usually work with uh people who would like to help us and this is where the community comes in dcs is an amazing community whenever i post on facebook or anywhere that i'm looking for i don't know american or british voice actors i get a whole lot of messages from people who, who would like to help and i don't know without them it would never be possible to make campaigns like that so Really, really grateful to the community.
2: Yeah, second that, and it's funny that like ninety-five percent of those people are doing really amazing job on, on the voiceovers. The quality is just uh, outstanding, and sometimes better than the uh, well professional voice actors. And this is like a big bow to Bell here, who did just crazy great job on on Flip.
3: The hours and hours and hours of Flip. <laughs>
0: I'm going to tell you a fun story here. Uh, one of the voice actors who I asked uh, to have with Paradise Lost, he's the door gunner. And, you know, when you're a door gunner in a Huey, you're just sitting in this huge open door with the rotor chopping, chopping overhead. So there's a lot of noise, the wind and everything. So the way the guy recorded the voiceovers was that uh, he put earphones in and music turned it up way loud then stood in his garden and recorded the voiceovers trying to shout over the music in his ears and the way it came out was extremely realistic and super authentic when he said that uh, his wife uh, looked at him in a very interesting way during the process (laughs) great one Uh, that's that's amazing Greg I've uh, I believe got, it. <laughs>
4: I've got a similar guy that helped me on Persian Freedom, um, lad. Um, he helped, he's from Texas. Um, he helped me do a voice of a JTAG, a special operations team that are under fire and they were, they were running away as he was recording it. Uh, well, they, in the game, they're running away and, You know, he he just he didn't send me each file individually like some of the voice actors do. He just left his mic open for about fifteen minutes and recorded the entire script. And um, you know, he just disappeared for a minute and I'd hear his distant voice shouting like, "I'm just running on the spot to get my heart rate up." And then he'd come back a minute later, completely out of breath, doing his lines when he's running. And I just thought the dedication some of these guys give us. I mean, they're absolutely amazing.
2: Yeah, I have also one story. You remember the I mean, within there was a Schaffer, this german guy that was escaping from the cla and jürgen was doing the voiceovers there was a part where he was recording after the, the character ran quite a big uh, distance so he said he did like 30 or 40 push-ups and some other things before recording to more authentic it's just amazing
4: yeah the community is brilliant i mean then the question was how do you get folks to do voiceovers i mean it's as simple as We ask, we put it on the forums or on Discord and people say we'd love to do it and they do an amazing job. So I think, like the other guys have said, we can't do it without them and I think uh, we all give our absolute massive thanks to to all the guys that help us out.
2: Having said that, we're always on the lookout for new and more voice actors. So if you guys want, just feel to get in touch with us.
4: Absolutely.
1: So one of the things, jumping back into uh, some of the questions, one of the things that folks are interested in is the financial aspect of it. Certainly, you guys invest a ton of time and effort and energy in putting these things together. Uh, I just assume that it, it does pay off for you downstream?
2: Oh, we can not talk about the specifics, but uh, it all depends, as always. So it depends on the aircraft, on the map, and and how many campaigns you have uh, under your belt, basically. It's just a simple math. <laughs>
4: It depends how you measure it as well. Um, If you measure your, I guess we talked about this before in our Discord, if you measure your effort in time, as in per hour, you know, that makes the equation completely different to maybe the final payoff. So really how you look at it uh, matters quite a lot.
1: Well, you know, and as you guys have said that, you know, whether you know, BD downstream, you want to love for this to be your full-time gig and that's that's an objective to move towards. So I would just you know, I think connecting the dots of saying that obviously it's worth it in the sense that you're able to do it. Uh, so uh, obviously, without going into the nuanced details and the relationship that you guys have with Eagle Dynamics.
2: Oh, yeah, I think it's it's doable. Uh, just yeah, You need to build your position and you need to have quite a big kind of, I don't know how to call it, fan base or people that recognize what you're doing. Uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's doable
4: yeah for sure i mean for me it's also like you've got to look at the if you're putting all your eggs in one basket in terms of your income you you, you, you've got to look at your your campaign performance as well you know what are the barriers to having a good quarter or not um any issues with the game any updates people not buying no stuff so it's it's a big leap to make that's for sure
1: well in in as an an aside to that one of the things that we sort of talked around is is your is the ownership that you guys have for the campaign and i think it's and i've seen this happen is that hey there's a new release that comes out uh for open beta and then a campaign gets broken. So it's not like you're you know once you release it you're done. You guys have an obligation to continue to do that, is that correct? To keep up with the campaign that is, to make sure yeah, that absolutely. it continues to work yeah, on yeah. the
0: platform. It's part of our agreement with yeah. And that's a huge part of their work actually to make sure they work all the time. And it's in our best interest because if we just Leave the campaigns out there and, you know, let the chips fall wherever they may. Or may. Uh, if it breaks, what if somebody buys the campaign at that moment? This is what worries me. An update breaks it and the next day a guy buys the campaign and sees that it doesn't work. And what if what if he doesn't take the effort to go to the forums and complain where, where I have the chance to answer that it's, you know, it's being fixed, it's, uh, it's caused by the bug. He just puts it on the shelf and says, "Okay, I'm never buying a campaign anymore because this sucks." Uh, that's that's my worst nightmare.
4: Yeah. And you, you end up with a terrible Steam review that you can't respond to.
2: I mean, Steam is a just different <laughs> story. The Steam reviews are <laughs> are hilarious sometimes. But I was just, yeah. just just looking at the for instance the within, uh, I see that I've I've sent twenty six updates to ED since it was released. Uh, and each update was on several missions. So yeah, there's constant work on that And if you have many campaigns, that's obviously much more work and if, to what Greg says uh, Yeah, it's people on the one hand people who play DCS know how it works And they know that things tend to get broken Because there's so many updates many new things coming that it's inevitable to have things broken. But then they also know that it'll get fixed so usually they don't get that upset. They just see this as a normal kind of schematic or see scheme that is going on. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very important as well that we they know that whenever something happens, they report it, we'll be there to try to react. You tell them, look, it's not in our hands. We cannot fix it or we try to fix it and say, yeah, it will be fixed by the next uh, update.
3: That's a very good point as well. You know, I think, One of the two things with DCS that those of us, all of us who've been around DCS for any length of time know is, number one, updates are going to break something, and number two, whatever new item you're waiting for is going to be there in, quote-unquote, two more weeks. But that actually does kind of tie into one of the listener questions that I'm looking at here. Um, One person... Asked If there was a possibility for perhaps like a a try before you buy type thing where as they describe it, they could try like the first mission for free, or maybe you could determine, you know, which of the missions I'm assuming the first would probably be the best. Is that something that you think might help alleviate a little bit of the pressure or, you know, how do you work something like that for those who are on the fence
0: but might be skeptical or whatnot. I think that would be an amazing idea. Uh, but it has to come from ED. You know, before, I had this same request and I thought it was a great idea, so I uploaded sample missions from each campaign on, into the user files section. But then, as time passed by, DCS was getting updated, so I had to keep updating that mission. But when it's in the user file section, people download the current version and keep that one so I couldn't be sure that they they had the most recent version that actually worked what if you download the sample mission now and three months later you give it a shot but since then there were three updates to the mission to make sure it keeps working and then it doesn't work so it kind of defeats the purpose I think it would be a great idea if somehow it could be done from the module manager. So you could download the sample, but that sample would be updated just like your campaign is updated after you, after you buy it. You know what I mean?
2: And also tied with that, it would be great to be able to actually upload our updates for our campaigns uh, that would not be linked to the official open beta update. So we could do it in between. That would be great, but I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It would be interesting,
1: though. I mean, if you think about it right now, you have the ability to skip the missions so you can give them a status. So, in the event that, you know, from a software standpoint, you could sit there and say, just deactivate these missions. Um, so, I, I can see where they could do it or there may be a path for it. Um, but, you know, I, but would it, if they want to, if you went ahead and did it, they may like mission one, but may not like mission Five, and you know, um, but I, I think it's, I think it, it's interesting. I, th- but I think you know, to Greg's point, man, if you have to start managing files in five different places and updates, that's harsh.
2: Yeah, well, we're talking to ED about those things, and they're very forthcoming uh, and and kind of listening. We have, I think, good lines communication with them, especially now with like with the recent bug that bug that was introduced in the last Open Beta. They squashed it really, really quickly, and uh, like internally.
4: Yeah, they were really good on that, I have to say. They moved really, really fast, so that was quite impressive.
1: So we had a number of questions around uh, some of the aircraft and things that people are working on. But just in general, you know, in in Baltic, even as you said, you know, you get some modules are going to be more popular around certain aircraft. Do you guys prefer to work on certain aircraft over other aircraft?
4: And if so, for what reason? I think it's got to be what you've got a passion for. And I, I've seen these guys discussing it on forums and stuff in the past. If you're not interested in an aircraft, you're not interested in a certain scenario, then don't bother. There's there's too much work involved, too much of your life invested in these campaigns to, to not do something that you really, really want to do. And you've, I mean, I think I put something on Facebook a while back when Operation Service North was released, and I added up the amount of time I'd spent test flying, and it came to 89 full-length test flights, which which is took touching two hours per flight, and just the amount of time you put in it, and that was just flying it, not even the development time. If you're not interested in doing it, and you don't love the aircraft and the scenario you're creating, then you just, you're not going to do it justice, so I think you've got to do something that you enjoy and that you want to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's 100% about passion. I never care about the popularity of the module, I mean, hey, I'm doing World War II campaigns, I've I've done a campaign for the Wolf 190A, because I just love that aircraft, and if you don't like a module, let's say, I'm really not a fan of the Apache, sorry guys, but I've never read any books about it, maybe if if I read some books I would be a fan, but uh, it's not about just deciding, okay, I'm gonna make an Apache campaign, but I... Really have to do a lot of research uh, about the procedures, the the lingo, the, the terms they were using, the phraseology, the crew coordination. There's a whole lot of information to uh, to acquire before you can start building a campaign. And you can't do it if you don't don't like the aircraft.
2: Yeah, and it's ultimately what we what was said before by Chris I think and Greg It's, it's it's all the labor of love. So it's, we, we just do it because we love it. It's not about the money. And if we do it for money, then you would first look at the aircraft, which is most popular, and then move forward. But no, we just uh, use the aircraft that we like uh, in the maps that make sense uh, to get the best campaign possible and not to make the most money of it. That's great.
1: Uh, and, and, by the way, someone had asked if anybody's working on an Apache campaign, and clearly Greg said that would be no.
0: How'd you guess?
2: <laughs> He's good in reading between the lines.
3: I have my moment. <laughs> Come to think of it, there's more than just the Apache. People are also asking for uh, Hind campaigns, as well as F5 and more Huey campaigns. People really love the Huey campaigns, by the way. <laughs> It, the list is long and distinguished of all the things that people are asking for. Of course, F-16 shows up on there. The Mozzie, people want Mozzie stuff. And uh, MiG-19. Now, there's something you don't hear every day. Who wants to tackle a MiG-19 campaign? I did one. There you go. Well, I guess we need more now because people are asking for it again.
4: Uh, like I said earlier, I'll struggle with the Russian. I don't think I can do that.
2: Yeah, I probably won't go that venue anymore as well. Uh, But uh, maybe let's, each of us can say what we have in plans. And my plans are really stretching far, very far right now. But uh, I have some things I've talked about, so I'm I'm definitely going to do an Apache campaign together with Cosmo. And that would be a training kind of campaign like the Iron Flag for A10. And we've already started kind of putting together some game plan for that. Uh, I am doing the F16 one, so as soon as I'm done with the uh, Raven one, which is very soon, I'll move almost full time to the f sixteen with uh, John waters rain uh, from Afterburn podcast uh, on in Syria and then uh, I'll probably do oh, I'll mean, surely do but a bit later one with mooch uh, for the F14 and there's Harrier along the way as
4: well oh, that's cool now I've got a Harrier campaign in the works in a minute so I'm working on the Kerman campaign which is fifty percent complete that is um, set. With the Harrier, and that's set during my Operation Persian Freedom campaign. So there's kind of like a standalone storyline within that, with the Marines fighting around Kerman City. Uh, that's hopefully going to be completed by the end of this year. Then I'm straight into an F 16 campaign as well, um, which is going to be a Wild Weasel campaign. So I'm working very hard on research and writing on that, and I'm developing some uh, hopefully quite interesting and really fun sort of um, scripting and technology around. Um, control of sam sites and how you can really live the life of a weasel and you can, you can learn the weasel playbook and learn how to defeat the sams and then i've got and there's another question around the Falklands. there's a Falklands campaign sketched out in principle there's an apache campaign sketched out in principle and beyond that that's probably the next four years so um, i think that's probably enough for now
0: yeah as for me um i have a spitfire campaign that is about to be released very soon in quote unquote uh, two weeks I've already submitted it to ED, so it's really up to them now uh, when they want to release it. It's going to be 100% historical, based on Squadron records and uh, combat reports. Then, uh, I already mentioned, I'm working on a Tomcat campaign with Paco Chiarici um, to turn Speed and Angels, as well as his book Lions of, the, uh, Lions of the Sky, into a DCS campaign. So you're going to have 10 missions of F-14 RAG, so basically, training for the F fourteen, uh, and then you go on your first deployment in the Marianas for five or six missions. Um, on top of that, I have a mosquito campaign that is ninety nine percent finished, and it's really just, you know, sitting on the shelf waiting for ED to uh, to completely release the mosquito. I'm still waiting for a couple of features. Uh, to come out like an official skin template, or you know, delayed fuse bombs, stuff like that. I have no idea when I can I can finish that. the The ball is in Ed's court at the moment. Uh, I also started working on a sequel to uh, to Paradise Lost for the F Four Phantom. Once uh, Hitler releases that aircraft, at the moment I'm building the the store. I'm researching building the. Skeleton of of the missions uh, using the F five as a stand in, and that's it. I may may have some plans uh, for the F sixteen as well, but it's way down the road. It's very modern for you, Greg.
1: Well, that's terrific, guys. Uh, thank you for the insights. I think um, we've been going at this for a bit, but. Um, what I would like to do is, if we could close on this and any recommendation, any thoughts or recommendations for folks that want to get into campaign building, uh, what, what would you suggest in terms of tools and approach or things that they should do?
4: Don't underestimate the, the time involved. I think a few people have asked me about it, and that's the, one, of, one of the things I always say. You know, we're talking, I think the guys would agree, a year to 18 months for a full campaign build in, to a high quality. Um, so don't underestimate the amount of work it is. I remember one of the first messages I sent on the forums um, when I first spoke to Baltic. I think was I'm six months into Persian freedom and I've got at least six months to go. And you know this is a really big hole. It's a pretty dark place and it's a lot of work. So don't underestimate that. I think with my first message, but it is an awful lot of fun and satisfaction as well. So if you've got the if you've got the ability to to see that through, then then absolutely.
2: Yeah, that and of course later the maintenance of the campaign that are out, that's a lot of work that you have to remember that it will, yeah, will be necessary. Uh, and also, the ED, I mean, the, the question should actually be, be asked to ED because they have their own set of, of rules that you'd have to follow. You have to submit a few missions, they have to test it, check, check if they're okay and they are up to the standards, and then you can move on with developing the campaign. But uh, I, I would say, yeah, the, the, Well, the, the, as we said in the beginning, the better the quality, the, the better for everyone. So it's 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 important to use the real voice actors uh, to get quite a few of them f- for your campaign to have a good story, of course, etc. etc.
0: Yeah, if you want to get into campaign building, it's I think the key to it is to find your motivation, uh, to dream big, and find a goal that you're willing to work towards and uh, and do the extra mile to get into that deep dark hole that uh that chris mentioned and then it's just trial and error really but if you're in trouble just reach out and we're we're happy to help
1: that's great and and i think you know we had some of the question uh some of the listeners had some questions uh that a little bit that were somewhat tactical like how do i do stitch it together And is there a place that you guys would recommend um, that we can send them or push them to? Would Hoggit be a good place? Or what's a good place for them to ask some really tactical questions on what they're doing?
2: I think the ED forums uh, should still be this part about the mission editor. And um, I've learned a lot over there asking questions in the beginning. Uh, Even now, sometimes I look there and see some interesting stuff being put up by people. So I think that's the best place. Hoggit might not be super user friendly. Well, ED forums are pretty good, when, and community is very
4: helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't ever beat YouTube for for learning a lot of stuff as well. I mean, I, before I started on DCS, I did quite a lot of mission building and Armor Three, and the amount of stuff I learned from YouTube and Armor, and then into DCS, you find loads of things. And I mean, even a month ago, I'd built two campaigns and released them, and uh, Wags put out a video on uh, something with the F sixteen, and he he mentioned about using the middle mouse button to get the ruler tool up. And I didn't know you could do that. I was just like, what? I spent all these thousands of hours in the editor and I didn't know you could do that. So you're always learning. There's always something out there that you don't know and you've just got to be a bit of a sponge, I think, for knowledge.
1: And that'll do it for us here at the Air Combat Sim Podcast uh, for this episode. Thank you for joining us and thanks all of you guys and we'll be talking to you soon.
0: Thank you, everyone. It was good fun. Thank you for inviting uh, us and it was a great pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks.
4: Yeah, likewise. Thanks for the invite. It's been a lot of fun. And keep up the
3: good work, all of you. It's because of you all why we even play DCS campaigns. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim.
1: Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it. You have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sid was brought to you by BBR
4: Productions.